Good morning, everybody. How are you? Doing well? Good. It's a great day. It's snowy. It's blowing around outside. And the Green Bay Packers are sitting at home today. Yes. Then again, sir, the Bears. Anyway, um, well, I'm Casey Tigard. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really excited to be a part of this series, Losing My Religion. And, and I want to let you know, we've received some comments about, well, what do you guys mean by this? Are you against all religions and, and things like that? And so I just want to say right up front, we're for any religion that leads to people's hearts being changed. Okay, so if there's a religious system that leads toward that, we're okay with that. Because that's the point of all the things that we see in the Bible, is that our hearts are the places where we need transformation. And so if there's a religion that does that, we're all for that. But the problem is most of them don't. Here's, here's what God promises us. He says, listen, in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The whole point of what God wants to do in us is to change our hearts. So the problem is, is that religious systems often don't necessarily get that deep. They don't get underneath some of the stuff we do on the surface down to the point of where we need to be changed in our hearts. I want to tell you the story of two different guys. There's one guy who's a 21-year-old guy, and he wants to run the Philadelphia Marathon. And so he goes online, and he finds a marathon plan, and he, he does all the diet stuff, and he does the running, and he does all the stuff he needs to do. 21-year-old guy gets ready for the Philly Marathon, does everything by the book, okay? Over here on this side, there's a guy named Joe D'Amico. Joe D'Amico is 36. He decides to run the Los Angeles Marathon. And so he goes online. He looks at all the eating plans. and He's like, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm going to eat nothing but McDonald's food for the entirety of my training. So for 22 weeks, this dude pounded uh, Big Macs and double quarter pounders, ate McDonald's food the whole time as he trained and got ready for this marathon, 26.2 miles. Okay. So there's those two people. Lay even money. Which of those guys do you think actually finished the race? You'd be surprised to know that the winner is Mr. McAwesome. Joe D'Amico, at 36 years old, ate nothing but McDonald's food in training for a marathon and ran the best time that he has ever run in his entire life. The 21-year-old guy did finish the race in very good time, but as soon as he crossed the finish line, he collapsed and died. Now, on the surface, on the surface... We would look at those two guys, and it's very difficult not to say one of those guys is a marathoner and the other one is not. And it's definitely not the guy who's pounding the fries every five minutes. It's this guy, right? Because honestly, like the drama says, all we really know and all we can really use to tell things apart is what we see on the surface. But for these two guys in the race, it was all about the conditioning of their hearts. And it's the same for us when it comes to God. What really, really matters is the condition of our hearts. Because listen, this is what Scripture tells us. God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The problem with religion is it doesn't give a lot of time to thinking below just what we see on the surface, down to the hearts that desperately need to be changed. One example I got to see of this was a friend of mine who uh, he said, uh, hey, man, you're never going to believe this. I'm giving up beer for Lent. I'm like, awesome. That's a great idea. I mean, that's a real commitment. I, 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 he said, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. I just picked up scotch. So I just figure 40 day, I'll come back. But was he wrong? All that he's really asked is to give up something for Lent. They never said you couldn't pick up something stronger on the backside, right? 
See, that's just it. it, it it's about the heart. It, it's, it's not about just making sure that you do the right action. It's about the heart. My friend Mindy Caliguire says the problem is we get too complicated. We need some simplicity, and simplicity really happens in our lives when we make the internal things that we value match the world outside. So when our hearts and our activity line up, that's when we can find the simplicity of life that we really need. And the problem with religion is it makes that line very complicated. It introduces us to an identity crisis. Who we are here is not who we are here. We may be going through the motions out here, but in our hearts, things are happening. It's complicated. And so I want to tell you a story today about an identity crisis, about two very different guys. And this story is from the Gospels. And in this story, one guy thinks he knows who he is, but he's wrong. And another guy knows who he is and knows that he's wrong. And this is in Luke chapter 18 in verse 9. Here's what it says. To some of those, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Heck of a start, by the way. Two men sent, went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men adulterers, evildoers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but instead beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The, uh, the guy writing the story, Luke, recording the story, really sets it up well for us with that first verse. And he says this, he says, To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now, contempt here basically just means treats them like they're worthless. These are these arrogant kind of self-promoting folks that make everybody else around them look horrible so they, they look that much better. You don't know anybody like that, so we'll just keep moving on. But the person that you just thought of, you should probably flush that from your mind. But anyway, in this story, these two people could not be more different. Like for the Pharisee, in the temple, this is a home game for him. This is his crowd. These are the people he's used to being around, and they expect him to be there, to perform all the rituals, to pray the way that he does. But for the tax collector, this is an away game. This is a hostile crowd. This is a hostile environment. And most everybody in there knew that the tax collector was a part of the system that was stealing from them. He worked for Rome, and he often took a little bit off the top and extorted from the people that had to pay him taxes whenever he collected them. So he was an enemy to everyone who stood around him. The Pharisees, they belonged. They kept strictly to the religious customs. The tax collectors, the only time they really talked about God is when they hit themselves in the finger with a hammer. You know what I'm saying? This was their concept. This was the reality. So right out of the gate, Jesus makes things very interesting. He says, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. He prayed about himself and by himself. He separated himself from everybody so everyone could see him. And he made this big show of saying, God, I'm thankful I'm not like these other people. And he set himself apart to say, I'm more pure and I'm more honorable than everybody else that's in this room. And here's why. I really only have to fast once. You only ask that, but I do it twice. And I really only have to give a tenth of some of the stuff I get, but I give a tenth of all that I get. And I'm so thankful that I'm not like these other people who don't do that. Do you notice something? This prayer is all about Him. This prayer is focused on nothing but Him and just how awesome He is. Let's talk, God, about how awesome I am. It's awesome time for me. 
He wouldn't even make it as a professional athlete today because those guys, when they're interviewed, a lot of times will say, I just want to thank God for giving me the talent and the ability. This guy couldn't even go that far. He simply says, this is all about me. This is all about what I've done for you. I'm thankful, God, that I'm not that guy or that guy. I'm glad we're in this secret little club together. Now, listen, he's just living out the way that he was taught. This is the way that he was brought up. This is how you make God happy, by doing all the stuff you're supposed to do, showing up when you're supposed to show up, kneeling when you're supposed to kneel, saying what you're supposed to say. And maybe that's you. I mean, maybe you've come in here and that's the experience that you've had with God. As long as I do the stuff that I'm asked and required to do, God is going to be happy with me and I won't go to hell someday. Maybe that's where you're coming from. But the question that really happens is, what about the heart? What about our hearts gets changed by that way of seeing the world? What about our hearts gets changed by seeing God that way in this sort of exchange? Now listen, this, the tax collector takes a totally different path than this guy does. It says that he stood at a distance. He stood off and separated himself from everybody else, but got out of the spotlight, whereas the Pharisee took the center. He got out of the way. He got off by himself. And he wouldn't even look up to heaven. Now, when they prayed in the temple, they were supposed to stand and lift their eyes and lift their hands. This guy couldn't even pray right. I mean, this was like showing up at Parkview and preaching with your shirt tucked in. Somebody asked me one time, they said, do you guys, you guys, you pastors at Parkview know how to tuck your shirts in? I said, no, it's not biblical. Jesus wore a robe and this is about as close as we're going to get. We let it all hang out, baby. He didn't know exactly what the right method of praying even was. Instead, he bows his head in humility and pounds his chest and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And man, does it take a lot of humility to admit that you're wrong to a group of people who already know that. Everyone in the temple looking at this guy knew how wrong he was, knew how out of it he was, knew how against the grain he was, knew how he didn't belong, and he simply admits that in front of him. It takes a big step to do that. It takes a big step unless, of course, everybody already knows it, like this guy. Yeah, he apparently did not read the sign. Thank you for driving carefully. That's why, because if you don't, you're going to end up in the ditch on your side. It takes a lot to admit to people who already know you're wrong that you're wrong. Now listen... Here's, before we get into Jesus' response, we need to know that this is not something brand new. Jesus is not constructing something out of nothing. There's a history behind this. The people in the temple had been doing this kind of thing since way, way back in their generations and generations before. And we find stuff about it in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, and this is the message translation, listen to what God says to the people in Isaiah. Quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences and weekly Sabbaths and special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I will look the other way. I wonder if Jesus had that in mind when he's describing the Pharisee. This whole idea that this is all just a show, this is all just a performance to make sure everybody knows that I showed up and did what I was supposed to do. I wonder if Jesus had that in mind. This was already happening in history, and so Jesus just captures it in one very powerful story, and this is how he summarizes it. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus teaches us throughout the Bible, time and time again, that our identity is determined by the posture and position we take before God. Who we are is based on how we position ourselves before God. If we position ourselves in a position where we're the best thing that's ever happened to Him, or if we position ourselves in a place where we say, God, have mercy on us as sinner, that's what determines our identity. And in some ways, a relationship with God based on religion is like trying to slip God a fake ID. It's like trying to tell Him that we're someone that we're not. And the problem with the fake ID is it only works on people who don't know you. But we know that God knows the depths of our heart better than anyone else in the world. The fake ID only works with people who don't know us. When we try to put it over on God, it's just sad. There's a Sunday school teacher who was talking to his class, class of all boys. And he really wanted to kind of lock them into how good of a Christian he was and how much they should live like him. And he said, boys, let me ask you a question. Why do you think people say, I'm a Christian? And he wanted them to kind of tell him all the good stuff that he had done. And there's this one kid in every Sunday school class. He's sitting in the back and his hair is kind of standing up. And he raises his hand and he's like, and he says, yes, son, yes, son, tell me, why do you think people think I'm a Christian? And the kid goes, it's probably because they don't all know you all that well. So it only works, this fake ID thing, this faking it till we make it, only works with people who don't know us. And God knows us so deeply. And listen, we're, we're all okay with the fact that we're not God, that we aren't perfect, that we need to be fixed, that we need to be rescued. And a lot, but a lot of times our answer to that is to try and find a good way of doing things. We find people who look like they're doing good things and say, well, let's just do that, and maybe that'll take care of things. This is what the Pharisees thinking. God will be happy with me if I just show up and do the right things and maybe separate myself out and maybe kind of push down people who aren't. And God's going to love that. That's going to be awesome. And this is so hard because it continues on even in our culture today. It's so hard to get away from. And it's hard to get away from for everybody. And I wanted you to see a testimony that kind of speaks to that point. So take a look. My name's Denise Harlow. I am the worship department director here at Parkview, as well as Tim's wife. I was very blessed. I grew up in a Christian home with great, great Christian parents. And one of the rules that I grew up with that I later learned was not necessarily a Bible teaching per se, but a good practice was that Christians don't drink. Now for some of you this may be very foreign, but down south this was a very common teaching, you might say. And my parents may have had their own reasons for teaching this, um, didn't want to cause anybody to stumble or cross the line, things like that. But for me, it was a very confusing teaching, especially later when I learned it wasn't in the Bible. So Tim and I uh, met in Bible college and we moved up here in 1990. And one of the things about this area that surprised me was that Christians drank up here. And I had to wrestle with this in my own heart and mind and with scripture and decide if this was a God rule or this was a man-made rule or what it meant to my relationship with Christ and after dealing with it I I came to the realization that this was more about 
loving people because sometimes I needed to open their hearts to him just by accepting the hospitality of a glass of wine or something with them and it wasn't sin because that wasn't in scripture and yeah we do need to be careful not to cross the line um, drunkenness is sin other sins can happen but it was a man-made rule and so um, my ID as a person and as a good church person uh, was wrapped up with this God rule so to speak but now um, I've learned and grown that my ID is about my relationship with Christ and how I'm loving other people and the rules definitely have changed because they're more about Christ and my relationship with Him. See, the problem is, is that there are plenty of people who think they're simply Christians because they don't drink, but their hearts have never been changed. We're not saying everybody should, we're not saying everybody shouldn't, but that's one of those things where it's like, I am not going to tell you that you're not a part of God's kingdom because you drink a glass of wine. It's about the transformation of heart. Now, there are some of us who know in our hearts we shouldn't do that, and we should stay away from that because that's where God is doing the work for us. But this is what Jesus is getting at. He's getting at the fact that when we know deep down inside what we need and who we are and we allow God into that space is when things start to change. This is where the tax collector really gets it, Jesus said. He realizes that unless God has mercy on him, he is lost and completely hopeless. Nothing changes and he's totally dependent on God. He can't fake his ID anymore. Now, the reason we know that is because of one of the words that's used in this passage. It's used three times. It's the word righteousness. You take a look at it in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 10. This is at the beginning of the story, and Luke says, He told this story to some that thought they were righteous. So at the beginning, he addresses it to people who believe that they're in, and they're locked in because they've done what they've needed to do to get there. Then in the middle of the story, the Pharisee says it. He says, I'm glad I'm not like those unrighteous people. Same word in the Greek. He said, I'm glad I'm not like those people. I'm glad I'm righteous. I'm glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm locked in. But at the end of the story, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified. Exact same word in the Greek. So what we have is a group of people who think they're in, a guy who thinks everybody else is out. But by the end of the story, Jesus says, the one who's on the other side is the one who's actually in. And you guys have missed it completely because you've based your relationship with God on something other than your heart being transformed. That's why this guy gets acquitted, called righteous, justified, let off the hook. Because he has taken on the fact that he needs a new identity. The Pharisee doesn't think anything's wrong. He doesn't think he needs to be changed because he's done everything that he's been taught is fine. And this is the downside of religious rule keeping is because you can get to the point where you're so good at it that you really don't need God anymore. God doesn't have to be there for you to do the things that you can do religiously. And when that happens, we have lost our way in all so many ways. Because until we realize that we can't cultivate a relationship with Him in our external actions, we'll never, we'll never find that transformation that we need. We'll never be changed. We'll never see our desperate need for God. We'll never be able to be transformed at the heart of who we are. Because religious activity, a lot of times, if it's not geared toward transforming our hearts, it just creates noise. And that noise turns the volume down on that stuff that's really deep within us in the darkest places that we don't want to deal with. And this is where you see this coming out. You see this coming out when high-profile pastors in this country are caught for stealing money out of their own offerings. 
Tim doesn't do this. I asked him before I said it, so we made sure we were okay. But what is that all about? Some guy who's got this really successful ministry extorting and stealing money from his own church? That's because what's out here doesn't match what's in here. It's when a small group leader or a Sunday school teacher talks to their dog better than they talk to their spouse. How is that possible? Because what's out here doesn't match what's in here. When the person who claims to follow Jesus with everything they have still sleeps with the person that they're not married to, that's because what's out here doesn't match what's in here. What has to change first is our hearts need to get transformed. And the only way that happens is when we allow the volume to be turned back up so we can hear what's really going on in there and we can say, God, I need you to change me from the inside out. So how do we do this? How do we lose this fake religious ID? Well, the first thing we do and we learn from this passage is to lose our religious ID, we need to take a humble position before God and realize that we aren't Him and we need Him. We take a humble position before God and realize we aren't Him and we need Him. Now, a lot of us in this room have already got some kind of religious ID. Maybe some Pharisee along the way has told you that you're not good enough, you're unrighteous, you're not worthy of God, God couldn't care about you because you haven't cleaned your life up. Listen, God is going to deal with that person ever so severely, I promise you. But for right now, what we need to lock into is the fact that God does want you. God does want a relationship with you and wants to transform your heart so we can actually find a solution to that. We, we know we're not God. We know we're broken. We know we're struggling. But the thing we need is a better solution than just trying to be better at it. And this is what Paul says the solution is in Romans chapter 3. He says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. When we were tax collectors, when we were standing in the temple and we couldn't figure it out on our own, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself. In the Greek, right standing is the same word that Luke uses for righteous or justified. Jesus sets us right. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And He did it by means of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, our hearts can change. Because of Jesus, we can get a new identity. We don't have to fake it anymore. We don't try to use the religious rituals to prove our identity or our worth to God. We can finally have hope and truth and beauty and life in places where there's been nothing but darkness and, and, and pain. In places where it's been mostly obligation, we can finally see it as opportunity. In places where it's been mostly duty, we can finally see it as delight. Don't you want something like that? Isn't that something that calls to the depths of your heart and who you really are? Look, instead of just trying to be better and trying to be more religious, literally, for God's sake, let's just be honest about it. We need Him. And we have to take that position before Him that we need Him. Here's what it says in Isaiah 1. Come now, let us reason together. Basically, let's get real about this. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God can't heal us until we come before Him humbly and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And religion alone is not going to get us there. Second thing that needs to happen before we can lose our fake religious ideas is that we have to realize and own the fact that we are in need of mercy. That's hard to do sometimes. But John says this, 
He says, if we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. There's no lying to God. There's no slipping him a fake idea in the form of all these things we may do on a Sunday morning. It's all about what's going on in your heart and are you willing to give that up to me? Are you willing to say, this is who I really am? Because it's that kind of humility and that kind of ownership of our own brokenness that allows God to do the transforming work that we need done with in us. God is a God who justifies those who acknowledge that they need him and they don't believe that they're man's gift to him. God is saying, I don't want you to slip me a fake ID anymore. I want you to be the kind of person who is being transformed from the inside so that the outside begins to change and begins to reflect this new life that you're living. At Parkview, we believe that transformation begins when we accept Jesus and say, I want you to be the God and the Lord of my life. And we believe that happens and it starts when we decide to be baptized. And I know some of you in this room, maybe that's what you need to do today. You're thinking, I want that new identity. Well, this is where it begins. We say, God, take over. I'm a sinner. Change me. And we come and we submit to being baptized. If that's something that you're thinking through today, we have a prayer room outside these doors right over here. And someone will be there to pray with you and help you with that decision if that's what you need to do. But I don't want to just leave it at that. Because then it could be, well, all right, we're getting rid of religion. We're getting rid of all the regulations and guidelines. Let's go on a grace bender. It's going to be awesome. Right? Let's just do whatever we want. One of these days, God's going to come rescue us off this big floating burning rock and everything's going to be fine. But see, the problem with that is it's, it's not heart change either. Just as keeping all these requirements isn't going to bring about heart change, doing whatever the heck we want, whenever we want, is not going to bring about heart change either. So what is it that we have to do? What is required of us? Casey, if you're taking away all the guidelines, where am I supposed to go? What I love most about Jesus is sometimes he is so incredibly specific. My wife Holly and I were driving, and we were in the car, and we were cutting through a parking lot to avoid some traffic. Now, I know none of you have ever done this, but just in case you need to think this through, you can drive crossways through the spaces and not go down through the aisles and just kind of cut through. Now, if I'm the guy who's watching someone else do that, I am furious. But since it was me, it's different, because if it's you, it's... It's different. It's, it's all, there's a reason. I, you know, I'm, fine. I'm sorry, sir. Put your finger down. It's okay. Um, so we drive through this parking lot. We come to a stop sign, and we stop. And, and the question struck me, and I looked at Holly, and I said, Honey, if, if it wasn't illegal to run a stop sign, if it wasn't a law that you have to stop here, would you still do it? She said, Well, well of course I would. Mostly because she's awesome. But I said, well, why would you do that? It's not illegal. You're not going to get a ticket. You're not going to get a point on your license. You, it's not a moving violation. You could just keep going. She said, because it's not about me. It's about the person coming the other direction. It's about my family in the car with me. It's about keeping us all safe. It's about the people that I love. So when it gets shifted from, this is against the law, I shouldn't do it, to this is something that's going to keep other people safe, and this is a way that I can love and help and protect other people, well, now that's something different entirely. So when Jesus is talking to religious people and they say, what's the one thing we have to do? Because they had 613 things that they wanted you to do. And they said, tell us the most important one. Jesus got at the one that would be the biggest heart change for any of them. And he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When they said, what's the most important guideline, rule, regulation, religious thing you could possibly do, this is what Jesus says. And then he says after that, 
everything you've ever heard about God and everything you've ever been told to do hangs on that one thing. So if you put your mind to that, everything else will fall into place. So to lose our fake religious ID, we've got to wrap our minds around the one most important thing, loving God with everything we have and loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's not that you don't do anything. It's you do this one thing and you do it really well. And I've got to tell you something. You've met your neighbors, Right? This is going to be a challenge. They're like, well, that's easy to love God with everything and love my neighbor as yourself. Have you met your neighbors? Do you love them yet? How long have you lived next to them? It's a long-term project. It's a challenging thing. But it's the thing that transforms from the inside out. The tax collector, when he's redeemed and justified, he can wrap his whole life now not around being a sinner, but wrap it around being one who God is helping to learn how to love God with everything he has and love his neighbor as himself. Now, what I love about this, too, is that Jesus uses a form of language called the imperative. To talk about that, I need to talk about my wife and I and our parenting styles. My wife is a much better parent because she's good at using the imperative. I am not so much. Because I'll go to my daughter and say, Honey, maybe we should think about cleaning up our toys. Honey, maybe, maybe we shouldn't set fire to the carpet. Honey, maybe you shouldn't pet that rabid dog in the backyard. You know, those kind of things, right? That's, that's how I approach it. My wife is much better because she can use the imperative. Stop it. Don't do that. Pick that up. It's not because she's mean or she's a bad person. She just gets it. If she's going to be safe and raised well and learn how to do the right things, you've got to use the imperative sometimes. I mean, could you imagine me teaching my daughter to drive like that? Honey, I really think you should probably stop at that red light. Honey, I really think maybe you should stop before we hit that car in front of us. This is not going to work. Stop it. Hit the brakes. The imperative works there. So when Jesus uses this command, he doesn't say, pretty please with sugar on top if you feel like it on a day that's really good and your, your hair looks nice and everything's fine. Love your neighbor and love God with everything you have. He uses the imperative because he knows this is who you need to become. This is who you're supposed to be, not just religious, not just keeping all the regulations. You've got to become somebody who's defined as loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. This is who you're going to be. He even tells his disciples this. He says, look, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we humble ourselves before God, we can become those kind of people that follow Jesus. We can become those kind of people that walk with him into this brand new life in which we learn how to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves, and let everything that God wants to do begin to fall into place and our hearts become transformed. Now, the disciples are the guys who get this command, right? I think it's, I think it's comforting to know that the disciples are the least religious guys you would ever want to meet. There's a guy named Peter. You may have heard of him before. Peter sticks his foot in his mouth more times than you can possibly count. He actually tells Jesus, no, you're not going to die on the cross. We're not having any of that. And then when Jesus gets arrested, he runs off and leaves him. Not exactly the most religious guy in the world. Not exactly the most godly guy you would expect. There's two guys in Jesus' crew named James and John. James and John go to a village. They talk about Jesus. And then they come back to Jesus and go, they didn't really like us there. Can we call down fire on them? Like they asked Jesus for permission to torch the whole town. Why? Because they didn't like us, and frankly, we don't really care for them all that much either. These are the kind of guys that Jesus gave his best teaching, his best stuff. Listen, if these are the kind of guys that first received the commandment of who they're supposed to be, I think you and I have got a fighting chance. Don't you? 
Listen, if you're here today and you've been wrestling with this whole thing, do I do nothing or do I commit myself to this legalistic kind of life that I've seen before? Can I invite you to do something? Just lose the fake ID. Just drop it. Because nothing you do is going to make God love you any more. Because He already loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And He's told us that page after page of the Scriptures. And when the tax collector in the temple says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, God says, you got it. Because you know who you are. You're not trying to fake it with me. You're not trying to say that you're someone you're not. So listen, lose your religious ID today as being not good enough for God. Stop listening to the Pharisees. Stop listening to all those people that say you didn't show up at the right time. God is not going to be pleased with you. Because when we do that, that's when the real heart change starts to happen. We need to lose our religious ID in the most important thing. We need to lose ourselves in following Jesus and learning how to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we got a great start on this because it started before we were even ready for it. 1 John 4 says, We loved because He first loved us. When we weren't playing the game right, when we didn't have our shirts tucked in, when we weren't praying the right way, when we weren't in the right crowd, that's when God said, I love you. That's when he started loving us. Not when we got all of our religious activities right. It was way before that. And so it's in that moment that we get a new ID. It's in that moment that we become a new person. And when you leave today, you're actually going to receive your new ID card. As you go out the exit door, someone's going to hand you just a little card that has on it. If you say, I want to follow Jesus, this is who I want to become, I want to submit my life to the one most important thing, you're going to receive this new ID card, and it's going to say this on it. And this is who you're going to become. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. I can do all things through Christ, and apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. In Christ, I'm significant, safe, and strong. That's who God built us to be. That's who He designed us to be. And that's the kind of life He wants you to live. What kind of week would you have if you began to understand that you are one in whom Christ dwells and delights, that God gets a kick out of you and all your little idiosyncrasies because He made you that way, and that He likes being around you rather than tolerates you? What kind of week would you have when you say, because of Christ, I can do all things? What would life look like? And you don't have to hope that that's true. It's confirmed in us. When we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to learn how to live this life. This begins. This starts. I want you to forget the Pharisees. I want you to kill that old identity and, and get rid of the fake IDs and begin to understand who God really wants you to be. There's a pastor on the East Coast and he had kind of an issue with sleeping, kind of an insomnia issue. And so at night he would go walking around and he found himself at a Greasy Spoon restaurant at like 3.30 in the morning. So he's sitting there having a cup of coffee and this, this group of prostitutes come in. And they sit down at the counter next to him and, and they're talking about their evening and how everything is gone. And he's kind of like trying not to listen because... Well, they're talking about their evening and how things went, and he's, you know, I'm not sure I want to be part of that. And then he hears them talking to this one particular girl named Tracy. Any Tracy's in the room, I really apologize. He talks to Tracy, they hear him talking to Tracy, and they said, what's wrong with you tonight? You're just, you're not yourself. And she said, it's, it's, it's nothing, don't, don't worry about it, I'm just, it's just, I'm having a bad day. They're like, no, you're usually bubbly and, and, and effusive, what, why, why aren't you yourself tonight? And she goes, 
well, tomorrow is my birthday, okay? And I just get kind of, you know, eh, about my birthday. So it's, it's, it's fine, it's fine. And they're like, well, no, it should be great. You're, you're going to have a party, right? And she looked at them and said, I have never in my life had a birthday party. No one has ever thrown a party for me. And so with that, they all got up and they left. And this pastor sitting there, and he, he calls the restaurant owner, owner over and he says, listen, do they come in here at about the same time every night? And he said, yeah, usually around 3.30 or so, they all come in. And he said, well, let me ask you this. Can you get me a cake? He said, why? He goes, because we're going to have a birthday party for Tracy. And so all the people in the restaurant have been listening, and now they get up and walk up to the counter, and they're like, yeah, we should have a birthday party for Tracy. And so they said, let's decorate this place. Let's deck it out. So they spend the whole night decorating. The next night around 3.30, when Tracy and her friends come in, the place is decorated. People are there singing happy birthday, and they've got this, this cake with these candles all lit up on it. And she blows out the candles, and she looks at it, and she goes, now, now, do I have to eat all this now? And they said, well, no, no. You get your cake. You do whatever you want with it. She goes, I want to take this and show it to my mom. She lives around the corner. I, I want to show her that I do matter and my birthday does mean something. And so she picks up the cake and she walks out the door with it and goes to show her mom. And the restaurant owner looks at the pastor and he says, who are you anyway? What do you do anyway? And he said, well, I'm a pastor. Because you're a pastor. What kind of pastor are you? They said, well, I'm the kind of pastor that has birthday parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning, I guess. <laughs> and you know what? That's the kind of God that Jesus loves. That's the kind of God that Jesus represents. The God who would have birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. The God who would look at a tax collector as he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he would say, you go home right and justified before me. He's the kind of God that would look at you and I and whatever it is we've been trying to pull over on him and say, don't you understand something? You don't have to fake it with me. I know you deeper than anyone else ever can or ever will. Let me change you. Let me show you what the one most important thing is. Lose the fake ID today because frankly, we all know it doesn't look anything like you. I asked the servers to get ready for, uh, for communion this morning. and uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but you're out in public and uh, somebody comes up to you and they're like, Hey, how's it going? And they, they keep talking and you get the strong impression that they know you and the dead look in your eyes is not quite giving away that you don't know who they are. Have you ever had this happen? Okay. Well, if I've ever done that to you, I sincerely apologize. Uh, my memory is not that good. But sometimes it's that. But sometimes it's that they think you're somebody that you're not. And then you get into this whole conversation of, oh, man, you are his twin. You guys, another parallel universe. Wow, is, are you sure you're not brothers? No, I'm, not that I know of. And I wonder sometimes if, if when we think about this life of following Jesus, if, if, if it wouldn't be great if we were mistaken for the kind of people that God is actually blessing. If we weren't mistaken for the kind of people that though we know what's going on in the depths of our heart, that God is actually changing it and changing us and transforming us. If, if, if we weren't mistaken for the kind of people who believe that God actually delights in us. And I think that's important for one very, very powerful reason because that's the way it's supposed to be. 
It's not supposed to be mistaken identity. It's supposed to be the truth. It's the way that we were designed to live. Live as people that God was writing this big and beautiful story for us, bigger than we could ever factor or figure or build or structure with our own ways of kind of conceiving religion and building it up and trying to build our way into a relationship with Him. That God wants to have more than just our activity, but wants to show us as the kind of people who are being completely blessed at every moment in time. So as we share these elements, as we share the, the cup and the bread, because of Jesus, because of resurrection, because of hope, we can be those people. That it's not a mistake, that it's a reality. So as, you, as we take time here to just meditate and quiet ourselves and think about what we've heard this morning, would you begin to think, what would your life look like if you believed you were one in whom Jesus dwelled and delighted? What would your life look like if you knew you were free to do one thing well, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself? What would this week coming up, what would that actually look like for you? As the trays come across, there are two cups. Would you grab both, hold them? We'll take communion together. You don't have to be a member at Parkview to take communion with us. If you're a believer in Jesus, we welcome you to this table. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this time, for this moment where we get to share in these two very powerful symbols and let them influence and seep into our systems and begin the work of changing us from the inside out today. Help us to think on you in this moment. It's in your son's name we pray.